Hey everybody, Chris here. Uh, 507-556-7271 is that number that's still there waiting for somebody to call it, waiting for the phone to ring. Um, you know, it's there for you to ask questions, to vent, to comments, uh, concerns for us, any guests past or future. Um, you can uh, you know, prank call us, you can throw Baba Booey in there. But uh, yeah, just, you know, see what happens. Call it. I won't pick up. I'll just, I'll let it go to voicemail. Um, unless you start doing that. Are you there? Are you there? I know you're there. Pick up. Then I might pick up. But uh, no, it's it's a recorded Google voicemail. It's it's there for you to leave a message uh, if you want. Um, doesn't seem like you do. Uh, what's easier, a lot less um, chance of engagement with anybody is uh, the email newsletter, The Recovery Revolutionary. You can subscribe to that on the site. There are numerous places to do it. I'll let you track them down. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to write. One of the things that's fallen by the wayside is me writing, and I'm trying to do it in the forward to the newsletters. It kind of went off the rails last time where I just did some really piss-poor writing about the stigma attached towards. So you might want to get on some of that action before I get my act together. The Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. Welcome to the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Podcast. The podcast of clean and sober, K-L-E-N and S-O-B-R and SinceRightNow.com with your hosts in recovery, Jeff, Matt, and Chris. Hey, Garrett. Hello. How are you? Hey, what's going on? Good. Uh, so uh, it's Chris back with Jeff. Hi, Gary. Garrett. Garrett, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, we... Uh, Did you, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, because okay. sometimes we don't turn these microphones on. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, told, I told you we're... <laughs> Our entire podcast is ruined. Two years later, we're uh, <laughs> figuring still it figuring out. it out. <laughs> we're figuring out on switches. Um, so uh, we were actually just... we we're talking uh rehabs in a roundabout way yeah um and uh i was i was letting jeff know and this this will be by way of introduction for everybody um that uh tonight we have our first um representative of of a rehab all uh, right and i was explaining to jeff and i'll explain to the audience briefly uh that i'd been contacted by by people representing you to book you on the show and um, and I've had this conversation with you, so it shouldn't be a, a surprise. And I let them know that you know I wanted to talk to you first because I have um, a, um, a reluctance to engage with rehabs only because I would feel a duty to like vet uh, the, the the people um, uh, because it's it's a it's a let's say it's a it can be a less than savory industry. Um, yeah. And, uh, after talking to you, I was telling Jeff and I'll tell the audience this by the end of the call, I was very much, um, you know, had my mind changed about what you're doing. A huge part of that is, is that you're an outpatient rehab and grounded very much in recover or uh, in creativity. And I'll let you, you know, amend or adjust that as we go on. So I want to say welcome to Garrett Brockman, uh, who's the, uh, co-founder and executive director of Alta centers, um, in, the Los Angeles area, right? Yes. Okay. Los nice. Um, well, and if you pass the Chris test, so like already, like wow, I'm I'm impressed by that. <laughs> <laughs> um, rehabs rehabs have this really, uh, I want to say, bad reputation because there's so many of them out there, and that's I always kind of say the most non-clinical way of saying it is like we're almost punk rock summer camp when it comes to treatment because. We say things a lot differently, and we're not afraid to say that. Um, and I think that's what kind of prides us in our success and in my success in recovery is a, I'm always kind of the guy who, you know, at meetings will say things like, 
hey, well, here's who I am. Here's what I do and, and kind of speak my mind. And I, I think that they need more of that in the recovery community and more of that in the treatment community. That's awesome. Absolutely. I mean, that, that absolutely dovetails what we were talking about sort of behind the scenes about what we're doing um, with our efforts over here. And um, it, and some of what you just said just then was was in a, a bit deeper sense, um, you know, what, what certainly changed my mind about talking to you specifically. Um, can we back up, though, and can we do a bit about you um, and how you came to be um, at this point in your recovery to be um, executive director of a, a rehab? Yes. Um, uh, so... So I got sober seven and a half years ago. Um, my sobriety date's August eighteenth, two thousand eight. And uh, I mean, I mean, really, the one thing I saw with I got sober through outpatient. I got sober through therapy and meetings, and um, you know, community around me. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been around that field for so long. My mom's been in treatment multiple times. My whole family, it seems. I, I just had a doctor's appointment today, actually, and he said, what's your family history? And I said, well, I mean, as long as mental health isn't involved, we're pretty healthy, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, the truth. And, and, and so this was always something I wanted to do. And, and so at about um, so, so you grew up in a home with alcoholics or addicts? Uh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is just part of the natural order yeah. of things, I guess. Yeah, I, I grew up in, in just alcoholism and addiction. And I, I mean, I think when I first did a genogram, it was like Mark Red for addiction. And it looked like a bloodbath on my <laughs> genogram. And so I was, you know, looking at it and I was saying, you know, wh- well, why don't we have treatment centers that really support people long term in recovery rather than, you know, short term residential treatment? Because mm-hmm. one of the things is I didn't get the opportunity to go to a residential treatment Maybe that's why I'm so invested in an outpatient. But mm-hmm. um, my mom always went to these outpatient or these residential treatment centers, right. and she would come home, and there would be a mortgage, and I was a screaming teenager, and mm. you know she would go, "Oh well, I got a drink." Yeah, and there wasn't really that backbone of support, and I I, I kind of like this idea of outpatient. So I I worked for a, an organization in Orange County, um, and I was kind of just a tech and you know, led up to a counselor. And then um, I got the opportunity to kind of start a different outpatient in a uh, attached to a residential in Malibu. And I liked that. And that was awesome. And, and, uh, you know, then I I moved forward. And this was an opportunity where it was like, you know, I really didn't see my vision coming true in these other places. I saw their vision, which was great. I I have no qualms with their positions. But there wasn't really this like treatment center that spoke to the idea of having fun and recovery. There wasn't really the, uh, the real mixture of that. And so um, my story is definitely intertwined into my work and what I do because, you know, I also come from a background of music. I used to run events. Um, I've done a bunch of stuff and I, I currently still DJ. Cool. Uh, so you're like Hollywood. a show promoter. Yeah, um, great I still stuff. DJ. Yeah, and and I've been able to DJ some really cool stuff out here in LA. That's and, awesome. And you know, I I have a lot of friends that do really creative, cool things in recovery. And I was like, how do we, how do we kind of work that into treatment? Because I think that's important. You know, a lot of these young guys, the reason why they're so scared to get sober isn't because <laughs> sobriety is so scary, but it's because they have no idea how to have fun and sobriety. Yeah. And even myself, I mean, that was a huge thing for me. I remember my first year of sobriety, I just said, I'll get a year. And then after a year, I'll figure it out. I'll get a year. Um, Because I wasn't sure and I didn't, you know, I got sober at a young age and I didn't want to lose my fun and lose my creativity. And so that's really what Alta Centers is basically what I wanted in a treatment center that I never got. Mm -hmm. is like having fun, doing cool things in recovery and being a part of and saying, you know, this isn't just lame, sit at home, watch Netflix on a Saturday night. This is like, go out, see what life's like. And what we say is always like assessing um, natural stressors in a healthy environment. And I think that's a huge part of it is you worry about like getting people out, getting people forward in recovery rather than saying, hey, well, let's uh, 
you know, let's throw you into a room in, in some big mansion and, and figure it out in 40 days when you leave. I, I think that's almost a disservice to people. Mm-hmm. I think that's why treatment centers get such a bad rap is, you know, if I've spent 40 grand in a treatment center and my son, daughter, loved one isn't going to get the right help and they're getting great help in there, but they don't know how to deal with the life skills because they're locked up in a room. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it's funny because, you know, in AA, there's the we are not a glum lot is a saying. And you hear that all the time in meetings. But then half the meetings that say that you look around and you're like, oh, it's kind of glum in here. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. But and it's and it's neither here nor there. But there's there's a rhythm to meetings and there are fun groups and then there are just, you know, whatever. But I think as as people, younger people are coming into recovery. I think, the mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to when AA was first founded and whenever it seemed like it, it took a lot longer for people to find the rooms. But I think that's probably such a crazy fear of a 21, 22, 23 year old is I'm not going to have fun anymore. It was for me, you know, like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden my fun is going to stop. It's not dealt with at all, really. And I think even sometimes it's and maybe you've found this or maybe you haven't, but it's not necessarily even a chronological age thing, but it's a, you know, culturally, like I think people a lot older are more invested in, I don't know what, having a quote unquote good time or yeah. or being able to live a, a full creative fun outgoing life. Yeah. Um you know, even at older ages. Yeah. Although to me the part about sitting home watching Netflix sounded pretty good, I gotta admit. <laughs> I know. Like wait, I do that every Saturday night, <laughs> <Right>. mate. <though. laughs> but yeah. and but did you tie the the I mean do you did you find at some point that that the your creativity helped keep you sober? Or you know what I'm saying? Like you're trying to help people yeah, I, I definitely or something like that. Yeah, I definitely see that, that, that as far as, you know, working in, in you know, DJ and working in the environment of, of kind of this crazy world of Hollywood and all that, it, it did, I, I think some people will say, well, that has a negative effect. And I go, no, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't drink. I didn't do these things. I see people leaving clubs at 2 a.m. and I go, oh, my God, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Like, you know, when the lights turn on, that's the realest moment at 2 a.m. when you see people just... <laughs> looking for what they're going to find tonight and and that's where i think i found a lot of hope in my sobriety is like wow i can have fun and there's also like a knit group of people especially here in hollywood where like i know a lot of guys that do some of the same things i do and they're sober but i don't think a lot of people talk about it so we wanted to get out there and go oh well you know you can have fun in recovery you can Mm -hmm. do this cool thing and you you can build mm-hmm. something and you can feel better about yourself. And I think that's a huge part of my success in recovery is like I've been able to, you know, do some really cool events and at the end of it go, oh, well, that's that was really fun. And you know what? I probably couldn't do that event if I was loaded because yeah. mm-hmm. those people wouldn't stare at me at all. They wouldn't talk to me. Yeah. That's all. Go ahead. And was uh, good. No, you go ahead. Oh, no. I was just it's funny. So you are out in it all the time. You're still out in the world of drinking. I mean, you just see it all around yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, on Thursdays and Saturday nights at this point, I'm still kind of all around it. I've, I've regressed a little bit cause I've taken on a lot with Ulta centers and what mm-hmm. we're doing, but, um, I still hold a few residencies here and there, mm-hmm. um, and, and do an occasional special event. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a crazy world to be in. Um, I get to see some crazy, crazy things and and see people that should be getting sober yeah yeah (laughs) right (laughs) um uh so a couple questions one uh are you native to the la area i am actually from cincinnati oh no kidding interesting Uh, so i'm I'm from cincinnati i grew up in in a suburb of cincinnati lived there for a while um been to some meetings over there and then um I have my family is actually rooted in Missouri. Oh, that's right. We talked about that. Yeah, in nice. Springfield. Yeah. Um, and then my grandparents moved over to Orange County when they were eighteen. So my grandparents have been here my whole life. Mm. Um, so I've kind of had this. I used to come out here every summer. I kind of knew knew people here because I was always out here. Gotcha. And and so what's what's your story like? What did you get into? Were, were you just? It sounds like your family was drinking. You probably picked it up pretty easily you know yeah yeah i mean i mean my thing is uh my my dad passed away when i was 13 from addiction and and mental health and my mom was in and out of treatment and i just 
you know, for me, it was like, I, I knew very early on when I started drinking, it was like, you know, I would see the patterns, I would see uncontrollable behavior. And I think, you know, a lot of it goes to the fact that I got to attend family weeks and my family was so supportive about the addiction recovery process where I wasn't, wasn't really shamed about it. I was taught what it is and I was taught how, how it works. So I'm able to kind of look at that and go, Oh, this is getting bad. I mean, my story ends in Tampa, Florida. Um, I was, you know, trying to do a lot of music stuff, trying to tour with a lot of bands and it just, you know, every time I'd go out on the road or something, I'd end up on drugs and Mm -hmm. somebody dropped me off in Florida and it just never worked out for me. And, uh, that was the moment for me. It was a lot of cocaine and a lot of drinking. Um, I had an Adderall problem in high school, did some prescription pills. And then I said, well, I'll move to Florida because (laughs) they don't have any, any issues with uppers up there, down there. And, you know, for me, it was like, oh, this is heaven. There's this thing called cocaine mm-hmm. that makes you feel even better than Adderall does. Yeah. Um, and and you can take it, you know, sniff by sniff. And it was great at the time. And then it slowly took over. And I was lying to people to get money and my mm-hmm. family down there and, and just doing what I can to to keep my addiction going. And my mom had gotten sober in Orange County. And that's when I, I called her. I think she was like six months sober at the time. Wow. And I said... Hey, I uh, I think this might be a problem for me, and I uh, I don't think it's working out. Yeah. And every time I drink, I end up with, you know, urine-soaked pants mm. and in uh, a bad night and a hangover, and and I do cocaine to make it stop. And I don't know what to do. And hmm. thankfully, my family said, "Well, okay, we'll we'll come out here and we'll figure it out." And so um, that's how my recovery started. Wow. And. I didn't get the opportunity. My mom kind of drained the uh, treatment funds for the family. So uh, <laughs> my grandparents were like, well, we spent a lot of money in rehab, so this isn't really going to work for us. Yeah. And, you know, I got I was able to do therapy sessions once or twice a week with a therapist mm-hmm. in an outpatient setting. And, and my mom took me to meetings and wow. we, uh, we kind of, built my sobriety around that. I got a sponsor. I worked the steps and I did the deal. And I think that's, you know, I, I surrounded myself with young people in recovery that were doing the deal. I actually, I remember like a pivotal moment in my sobriety was at like four and a half, five months. Cause I started realizing that young people's meetings, at least in Orange County in LA, they're fun, but it's a lot more socializing. Totally. And, yeah. Um, the dating hook up. Scene, yeah. yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a, a hookup dating scene than sure. more of a, you know, really good sobriety environment. And I started kind of drifting away from that and dealing with the people who really wanted sobriety. And I started seeing myself how much it meant and how much, you know, when you build time, I, I think that the period of time that's the hardest to, to stay sober is that three months to a year mm-hmm. because you get those 30 day chips and you feel great. You get mm. that 60 day chip, you feel great. 90 days you feel great and then that that 90 to 120 you're like well i don't get a chip for this and then you know you get the six months (laughs) and you're finally kind of getting there but it's difficult because you don't get the pat on the back anymore Mm. reality sets in this is your life now yeah and uh, i think that's definitely a huge part of what my sobriety is is i found people that were like hey well yeah you're sober but that doesn't mean you can't go have fun Mm mm-hmm and and then it started to kind of click. Like you're right, I can have fun. I can do do cool stuff and not be loaded. It just nothing changes. I just don't wake up feeling like hell anymore. Yeah, yeah. Did you? So do you think growing up in this atmosphere of parents and treatment and addiction? So I wonder just the openness of it. You said like most kids I don't think get that support or even understand what the disease is all about but it almost feels like when you started using you had kind of a perspective on this you knew what this was or it was like it made a little sense yeah I I mean I I'm a huge advocate for for actually this is something I've been kind of advocating for is you know I see a lot especially now we've got a lot of like marijuana being a, a big topic of discussion i believe tonight there's a cnn prescription pill epidemic mm. town hall you know we're seeing yeah. pop up in these news stories and i always say you know we focus so much in education on the drugs it's the drugs and you shouldn't touch marijuana because it's bad and you shouldn't touch this drug because it's bad but we really don't 
you don't see educationally people getting, I think that's what I'm so grateful for is I got this education of like, well, the drugs are one thing, those are bad. But if you have this brain disorder, if you have this disease, then maybe all of this is bad because you can't ingest these substances correctly. And that is like, I am big on that, that we need to start teaching people that this is, it's a huge reason why I'm sober. I definitely think so. If I, if I got the education I got in my high school on drugs, I would probably still be high. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they, they just taught me how good they were. Yeah. They didn't really teach me like, oh, well, if you have a problem, here's kind of how to work through it. If mm-hmm. you're struggling with this, here's something. There are, you know, there are great support group meetings that are held every hour um, called AA or yeah. NA or whatever program you want to go to. Right. I, I think that's a huge part of it is like knowing that outreach, knowing that that's there rather than just hearing, hey, well, there's this thing called addiction and it's bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So and then, so, is there a uh, a way of treatment then when you when you started to have this vision for treatment, it was obviously you wanted everyone to have fun and that makes sense and to sort of have this ongoing relationship because that's it is you have this disease for life you never get rid of it you never graduate it's always there you can start tomorrow and pick right back up where you started um uh, is there specifically like if we came to alta centers what's the rhythm of the outpatient or how does that work exactly well i think we put a great deal on hospitality i mean right when you walk in the door we have like a record player we have vinyl records we Mm kind of have this cool vibe where you know we have like a lounge where a lot of the clients will play xbox or something and this kind of area where they can feel at home um i think there's a big emphasis on that you know we don't want hospital walls and looking like we're you know this ridiculous medical center um you know i think i think that really keeps you know what i've seen i haven't done any research on it but what i've seen is when you create a healthy environment like that where it's like this is a fun cool place Mm -hmm. it actually gets people to open up more because they feel more comfortable you know they feel like they could actually talk rather than being subjected to a therapist's mumbo jumbo about how they're hurt from their childhood. They can actually really get it out and talk about it because they feel comfortable. Well, it's, yeah, it sounds like you're creating an environment where they're not made to feel other, that it's just a, yeah. a normal environment where they can feel comfortable and safe to some degree. Right, um, exactly. Or to a large degree. Um, what? Uh, so how, how long have you been in operation? We've been in operation since August okay. of 2015, so just shy of a year. Oh, cool. And, and are there centers, or is there one? There's only one right now. We okay. have plans to expand. Um, I know we're looking at some different markets right now. Um, I, I would personally love to, to put a facility in Cincinnati because I know there's a huge mm-hmm. drug epidemic going on in Cincinnati right now. Um, with the heroin and everything that's happening with young people, I, mm-hmm. I think it's really needed. Yeah. Um, still something we're looking at, uh, but that's something in the future we will grow to. I would like to have multiple centers. And how's what's the program? Like you meet every night or how does it work? Like I don't know how I, – I, I didn't so, go through treatment. I didn't Kristen, go through treatment. Kristen our our one treatment. Uh, guy with all the experience, I think Matt went like – Yeah, Matt did a lot of treatments. More than he can count on one hand. Right. Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, I would say, you know, we start in the morning, we do a meditation. Um, the, I think one of the main focuses of our, our treatment center is a lot more psychodynamic education. Um, I, I kind of like the, and, can you explain that? that? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, That's good. I like that word. I like the AA kind of sit down, shut up model. I would say is the non, you know, the, the way to say it in the program, but yeah. we kind of more have this mode of, you know, we're going to teach you how to do these things. We're going to teach you triggers. We're going to teach you cravings. We're going to, you know, teach you how to live life and say, you know, what is, for instance, the, the reason why I kind of got into that was I used to run a group called Healthy Relationships. Healthy Relationships is a great group to run if you're teaching them about healthy relationships. However, if I'm 30 days sober and you know, some guy is is in a group saying, let's talk about healthy relationships. I think healthy relationships might be, you know, this girl who's a stripper and she's great and she might do drugs, but it's not that bad. And, <laughs> it's you know, healthy. So, 
Yeah, yeah. it's kind of healthy, you know, and, and that's not, and that's not what a healthy relationship is. So we <laughs> use that to kind of explain to them, okay, here's kind of a base point. Yeah. So we kind of mix our groups. So it's like fifty percent the psychodynamic education where we're actually teaching them something, we're processing with them after that. So we're doing fifty percent process, fifty percent teaching where we're actually and a lot of our clients end up calling the groups classes i think it's kind of a freudian slip of sorts but Mm. they kind of have these classes they attend rather than just this outpatient process group one of the things i hate about outpatient that i i wanted to avoid at all times is you go into an outpatient center and a lot of the times it's process 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 get out Mm. and and i think that's so boring i'm like what if I was six months sober and trying to get move on in my life, process, process, process means nothing to me. And, uh, you know, it would actually bore me to death. And so we try to have more of an emphasis on a specific thing, um, whether that be 12 step, whether that be relationships, whether that be triggers, cravings, relapse mm-hmm. prevention, things like that, as well as mindfulness and meditation and incorporating that into their daily lives. That's awesome. <laughs> It is. It's uh, yeah, and it's. I mean, it's it's outside of my experience, but it, it definitely it's, it's um, you know, it's certainly different than what I've come to expect. Um, I think so a lot of the times treatment has this idea behind it that's like, you know, it's it's some guy who owns a mansion who mm-hmm. you know does well and and wants to just you know throw out groups three days a week and bill insurance and mm-hmm. that's. That is not what we want to do. You know, we we obviously want to maintain a, a positive business, but you know, we also we we help people and we do we go above and beyond for our clients. And I truly believe that, you know, like I've seen the inside of most outpatients based around working in this field for so long. And yeah. a lot of the times, it's just it is that a lot of the times. And and you know, I I tell them I I drive a Prius. I don't really you know I'm not the guy right. who one is to do this for money. I want to help people and I want to achieve success by you achieving success. Mm. And I think a lot of the times you see these rehabs that, you know, turn over clients because they know they'll relapse and then they'll come back to them. Mm -hmm. And it's this really unhealthy thing going on, you know, and we don't want to do that. I I definitely don't think we'll, we'll be getting into the residential business. Not that I have anything bad to say about residentials, but it's just, we want our niche to be outpatient. Mm -hmm. And I think if, a lot of the times unconsciously you've got these treatment centers that have outpatients, but they really don't focus on it because they have so much going on in the residential world. Yeah. So we, one of the things I, I tell clients that they're, they, they enjoy is that this is our focus. Our focus is the outpatient. There is no other you know, program we have. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be lacking because this is our main focus we're not just throwing a counselor at night and saying go in our program to kind of answer your question about our program is um five days a week um we don't mm-hmm. run on weekends and we do kind of uh 8 30 to 2 30 and we give them lunch we kind of order lunch for them and and have them you know have a lunch hour mm-hmm. and then we um we also work with sober livings in the area and most of our clients are in sober livings. We ask that they attend sober livings um, because sober livings to me are kind of the right hand to the, you know, the outpatient care. Now what do you do? You know, and, and so we work with a lot of, a lot of good sober livings in the area and just kind of, you know, let the clients know that this is for their benefit and that they're going to be, you know, and, and we've gotten a lot of good responses from it because, we're doing the right thing, and I think that's so needed right now in the industry where ethics is a huge part of treatment right now. Yeah. And then do you try to integrate AA or NA in 12 Steps afterwards and get them going to meetings? Yeah, so we, we integrate 12 Steps. Um, we all, we do groups on like 4th Step and stuff like that yeah. as well. So the first 4 Steps. and Kind of get um, the lingo down. Yeah, and, and we also... On. One of the things we strive to to do is is we offer a psychiatry visit weekly, a therapy visit weekly, and a counselor visit weekly. And the, the drug and alcohol counselors are kind of the people that will guide the client into that twelve step. You know what what works for you. Yeah. We're not inclusive to twelve step. I like twelve step, but yeah. I also know not all clients are going to like twelve right. step. Yep, yep. So you know we offer them a few different support groups to attend and say, hey, if it doesn't work for you here. We have other programs that you should check out. Um, you know, we're very big on letting the client decide that. We, I, I don't feel 
like I have all the knowledge in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what makes an organization great is by understanding what the client needs. Um, and, and that's something that we saw was, you know, we, we are 12, I like to coin the term 12 step informed where we do work 12 step well. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of our niche. But if someone attends another program, we just ask that during those groups, they listen, have an open mind and attend those groups based on psych psychological value rather than their own, you know, feelings and emotions on a 12 step group. That's sure. good. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, so what, what was the transition like for you from your own treatment into the, 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 the industry? How, how did that come about? So actually I, since I got sober young, I was like looking at, I dropped out of high school, all that good stuff, um, as a drug addict does. And I thought I was <laughs> be a rock star, which slowly at, at six months sober, I realized that I'm probably not going to be a rock star and I should find something to do. It's hard to be uh, a rock star, man. Yeah, I, I don't think it works out too well. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was looking at different schools. It's actually funny. I was just talking to my mom about it. She said, you know, I, I had two different options I was going to do. I was going to become a drug and alcohol counselor or I was going to cut hair. And the reason why I wanted to cut hair was because there's a lot of cute girls at the hair school. Nice. And, you watched uh, that shampoo movie. I watched that uh, Warren Beatty. He did all right. Like, right. Come on. And uh, my, my mom totally vetoed the idea of school she was like my grandma came out and she was like you can't go to hair school it's not happening so i got vetoed so i went to school to be a drug and alcohol counselor and during my internship i worked with an organization in orange county that i actually had a really good and still have a great relationship with today and down there and uh, i became a tech there and uh, i basically just picked up pee and cleaned the house and, mm -hmm. you know, did, did anything I can. I was so fascinated by the industry that I just picked up everything I could. Wow. And that organization ultimately gave me a counselor position when I got my certification. Um, so this and is your passion, man. Like you clicked with this thing early. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's cool. it was definitely something that I, I knew I knew needed to be done. I mean, I always, it was weird. Even in my addiction, I kind of always wanted to work in like counseling or helping <laughs> people. Yeah. I think, I think part of that is I grew up in the hardcore scene. I grew up in punk rock and, and a huge part of that scene is actually helping people, which a lot of people don't know is mm -hmm. like a lot of, I remember my first hardcore show. I was so absolutely ecstatic about was because they talked about depression and anxiety and they talked about these things that other people won't talk about and so i always knew like that helping people and talking to people when i was in a band when i was younger you know these kids would come up to me and they'd say hey your lyrics they're great this is what helped me and it was such a cool feeling yeah. that really led me to kind of find oh you know what what if i just talk to people and talk about their lives and figure out what they want to do and you know i still do that today even in a more administrative role like a new client came in today and one of my first questions i asked him was they said i want to know where do you want to go in life what's your dream hmm. yeah and if you want to accomplish that in sobriety let's help you accomplish that um, and I think always let, you know, knowing from the start, I was going to do that and having the ability to, um, to really grow within organizations from a tech to a counselor, to a, you know, program director, to executive director really led me to that ability to know each and every role as an employee. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that, you know, we we really strive for in our organization as well as organizational health. You know, I don't care if my front desk lady says this may be something that you should look at. Um, I want to take that into advice, even if she may not have clinical training. Um, it's something to look at. And I think I've gotten that before where you could kind of spot when somebody was right on about something. Hmm. And we've changed policies because, you know, people in our organization say maybe this isn't something right and we'll listen to them and i think that's the success of an organization is because i've always i've grown within this field yeah and held those different positions so i know what's expected of a tech i know what's expected of a counselor that's cool yeah so you got you figured out the good culture already for alta centers how yeah. to have a really good internal culture with all your people yeah it's it's, it's an amazing thing and and you know we 
we really strive to make sure our employees are taken care of that they, you know, I think tomorrow we're all going out to dinner together just to have a staff dinner. Um, you know, we try to make sure everyone's taken care of. And I think that's another way in which we're a little different is that idea of, you know, most of these places, these counselors are making hardly any money. They're not really doing so hot. They're overworked, underpaid. Mm -hmm. And we really take care of our employees. We try to push initiatives where they're, you know, they're getting vacation time. We try to do everything we can to make sure our employees are happy and that we're doing the right thing where they feel like they're heard. I mean, one of, one of my employees came to me and said, hey, I saw this job uh, that's on Saturdays. And I said, what do you need? I will make sure it's done because we, we don't want you to be overworked. We don't want you to work on Saturdays. We want you to take a day off. We want mm. you to take time for yourself. And that's a conversation I can have with my employees where I feel good about it. Um, and I think that's where they feel good about going the extra mile with a client. Um, yeah, exactly. Is, yeah. Well, so, I mean, this is fascinating. So, um, I mean, your, I'm going to trust your mother's, uh, still in, she's in California. She's actually in Springfield. Oh, she's in Springfield. Oh yeah. She's by us. Um, and I mean, it must be incredibly gratifying for her, um, that yeah. what you're doing now yeah yeah it's it's crazy i was just talking to her on mother's day and, yeah. and you know it's something that um, always was so interesting that that we ended up crossing paths the way we did in this way where you know my field of work is kind of due to all the craziness of yeah. my childhood and came, yeah full circle <laughs> right and she you know she's she's absolutely incredible i mean and i always tell her you know my my mom's my hero because she's able to do those things and still, you know, she's been in treatment so many times. She's been in recovery multiple times. She's relapsed. She's came back and she's still doing the deal. Mm. And I, I think that's a huge part of it is never giving up. Never, mm, yeah. you know, I watched somebody in my direct family show me that this is so worth it that it doesn't matter if it's the 10th time, 12th time, yeah. first time, second time, you do it. Yeah. And, and even in the end, it's all about that it's all about doing the steps working the program and living living the 12 steps yeah well and it's so funny I, and you know addicts we all know and i just heard a share tonight at my meeting just the in and out this guy was in rehab i don't know 10 times and what <laughs> what's so great about a or recovery it's like that your that your chair is always open it's a desire to stop drinking or using you'll be welcomed back with open arms you know there's no shame in it we mm -hmm. all have been there um, and it just sounds like that, you know, you've totally got that attitude with this. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the thing is, is, you know, having that ability to have an open conversation, I think with an addict is the most important thing. And also living, you know, a lot of the times people don't put an emphasis, even in AA, I'm so glad one of my first sponsors told me the 12 principles of the program and how the principles of living in AA are rather than in what step represents each principle, mm -hmm. because I think that's so important that there are these principles to live by because a lot of people will come into AA, see some guy who's, you know, mouthing off or something and go, that's not, you know, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be sober. You know, we have to represent what sobriety is all right. the time. Wow. We're gonna have to, we'll have to post the 12 principles. I have no idea. I, I've read them long time ago. But yeah. There's sure. the traditions, the steps, and then the principles. And the principles are the least talked about. Yeah, always. Right. And, yeah. and that's something I always I'm share with there. people. It's like, well, this is so important. There's actually a really good book on it. I, I'll find the link to it. But I, I always use this book and it, it just tells you about the 12 principles and each one and how to get through them and, you know, unity and, and the program and how important it is. And I think a lot of the times that's something that we struggle with as people and, and especially long term recovery um, is, you know, living by those principles. And so I wanted to create a business where we're living by those principles yeah. where we're saying, That's Hey, cool. you know what? This is what we do. We want to work in tandem with 12 step. We can't have, you know, our lives without that. So, you know, we want to, we want to welcome anyone from the community and, and have that honest conversation about addiction and about recovery and what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And I always tell my clients, like, we don't want you here a second time. I don't want to readmit you. Right. You may have a great insurance policy. You may have a great, you know, family member paying for treatment, and that's awesome. 
However, I don't want you to do this a second time. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's the most important part is like building that trust with them because there are so many, so many organizations that just do heinous things in recovery. Right. I, I don't want to live like that. I want to be able to sleep at night and especially just guiding people in their recovery and saying, hey, this is this is what we do. Um, if you like it, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and uh, hopefully everybody hearing because a lot of long-time listeners may have a good sense of my, like I've said at the beginning, reluctance to, to sort of in, uh, involve myself with, with rehabs. And it's, um, you know, I think there's, you know, the the sincerity of with which you're approaching, um, you know, what right. you're doing, um, you know, comes through. And, uh, you know, it certainly sounds like, um, you know, a, uh, a, a comp- passionate um realistic and you know what what really struck me was sort of was that sort of fun creative mm-hmm. um element to it that that helps people uh live in recovery um yeah. and uh you know but I, I have to back up every time we talk about the 12 the anything with a 12 <laughs> in front of it yeah. um it, it's kind of foreign to me um I, I think i may have addressed this with you garrett but uh you know i'm not, I never know even what to call it. I've never done the the steps. I don't go to AA. I never have. Never done I don't the do deal. the deal. Okay. Um, so it's all sort of new to me. Uh, have you found uh, in your your practice in in, in your in, with Alta Centers and with younger people in general and with AA in general? Is it evolving? I mean, you seem you're very much out. I think there's always a lot of like from my perspective, confusion around um, being out and recovering out loud as somebody that practices the 12 steps and does go to AA. Um, do you think that's changing generationally? Uh, I, I think I think it is. I think, I think, well, what's happening, I think it's, you know, we're seeing so many more people die from drug overdoses right. That it's imperative to to talk about. Right. You know, I, I think it's it's one of those. I just lost a friend two weeks ago oh, to an overdose, and and it's one of those things where he didn't speak up to his friends about his recovery, about getting sober, about trying to get sober, and I I think that may have may maybe would have changed things. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's 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 imperative to talk about it. And you know, I I don't there's. I watched a great documentary on Netflix about it. I forget what it's called, but uh, there's one uh, on the recovery element and how it's changing and how people in long-term recovery are reaching out and talking. And I, I think it's it's something that, as far as 12-step cultures, may never change, but I think as a person in recovery can change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it's more about saying I'm a person in long-term recovery mm-hmm. than just talking about 12 steps and the meetings and all of mm-hmm. that because there's so much more to recovery than just those meetings. Those meetings can right. help. They're mm-hmm. definitely amazing, but, yeah. you know, it, it's all about so how do you represent being a sober individual? Mm-hmm. And it's, I see the fear in it. Cause I think a lot of the times and why the princes or the, the traditions are the way they are and all of that stuff is because, you know, if I go out and relapse tomorrow and we did this podcast, now I'm representing AA. If I say I'm a member. Yeah. Um, and I get that, but I think it's also talking about being a person in recovery and saying, you know what? here's who I am and I, I've made some mistakes in my life, but I'm not, I'm willing to, to talk about them. And if somebody hears that and says, you know what, I need to change my life. Then to me, it's, it's all about that's, that's what matters. And it's about helping the newcomer and being that person to reach people out to sobriety. So, you know, I, I see it changing a lot, especially with the young people in recovery. I, I think they're starting to reach out a lot more. I think the media coverage on it is starting mm-hmm. to enhance I think, you know, you're seeing this kind of spectrum of overdoses and, and you know, Prince and Prince right. was getting addiction treatment and never told people and yeah. things that are happening, I think, is really pushing where people need to start speaking out and saying, you know what, recovery isn't a bad thing. Right. It's also not something to be ashamed of. And if somebody doesn't like that because, you know, they think it somehow misconstrues a, a tradition, well, 
to me, I guess I'm sorry, but that's just the way I feel mm -hmm. that we should be is talking about it and being honest and saying, this is what recovery is. And, you know, it, it's more about treating people with respect and being kind and being a grateful person today. You know, I, I, I remember one of the one meeting I went to, somebody said, you know, to me, what gratitude means is the fact that I can wake up on a Saturday morning and have a cup of coffee and not have a hangover. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which, you know, and, and, yeah. and that's, that's something I heard where I go, wow, Saturday mornings instantly felt different. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, that's what's cool about recovery for me is that you have that ability. And I think if we start talking about it more, more people will get the right help. I mean, mm -hmm. I believe the statistic is like 22 million people have addiction and like 3 million sought treatment. Right. So there's something going wow. on. There. This is a white space. We got to get, there's a lot of people we can <laughs> right. yeah. get in this little thing. There's, there's something <laughs> going on where these people aren't seeking that help. Yeah. Saying, well, I don't know. There's a stigma or there's this. So if we break down the stigma and say, Hey, you know what? It's fine. We've hmm. all made mistakes. Then I think you'll see a lot more success in recovery. I mean, I think definitely there's a changing world of what the, the new generation of people that are getting sober is. And I think you're seeing that in just also the meetings. You know, you'll see, I mean, I've been to young people's meetings where I'm like, wow, this is great. There's great people here. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, you know, real camaraderie. We're going out to dinner afterwards. We're having that meeting after the meeting and they're doing it in public. Um, and I think that's huge. I think that's a big part of what, what this is supposed to be about. And uh, yeah, through social media and other changes that have happened, people are more honest. I yeah. think people are more able to, you're able to talk about things. I mean, if I update a Facebook status that says, I'm a person in long-term recovery, it's a lot easier to do that than put a microphone on me and say, hey, I'm a person in long-term recovery to my you know, workspace or whoever it may be yeah. Yeah. around. But you know, so I think seeing that and having that kind of outreach is it's changing everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. And we, well, it's interesting. Um, that raised a couple of questions. One, I, just before I forget, have you ever been to a smart recovery meeting? I just. I curious. have. Okay. Um, I only went to one. Um, yeah. So. Have I, we. But it's it's you know it's it's interesting. I mean, it's not really for me, but right. I think there's some people. Um, that that it is for i think it's mm -hmm. great for the community of people that have no belief in a god or mm -hmm. a higher power that yeah, really yeah. feel like that's that fits with them which i i strongly enjoy that there's an outreach for them because i remember getting to the rooms for the first time and i'm like these people are praying what yeah. is happening and you know <laughs> i can imagine being somebody that's a young person coming into recovery and going Oh my God! They're talking about the God word. They're saying, you know, there's some people, the older, the old timers, that sometimes will say things about Jesus, and you're like, oh, this is really not yeah. my my thing. Mm, yeah. And I think it turns people off. So the more the more programs the merrier. Mm. I mean, as long as it, it benefits some individual, um, you know, I I remember in my courses in, in college, one of the first things my professor asked was, he said. Um, do you believe in methadone treatment? And all of us kind of disagreed. And he goes, well, has it saved any lives? And I, you know, yeah. And he goes, okay, well then it's a valid form of treatment. Mm -hmm. It may not be the one you agree with, but is it the one it doesn't save lives? Yeah. And, and that's kind of how I view all the other, the other programs mm -hmm. out there is, mm -hmm. you know, I may not be the smart recovery guru but mm. you know I, I think it's a great program for people that want to want to get the help they need because it's it's not even about all take all the things away take the books away take all this all those things that you know the aa big book all that stuff i think you learn more as a sober person with the camaraderie of other sober people right totally that's the a, fellowship's a, a big deal point. i mean it really is the fellowship which yeah. isn't something that's exclusive to aa no absolutely um, right. absolutely yeah, so Totally. Um, and the, the, what made me think of that is specifically that issue of spirituality, just, uh, you know, sort of doing Venn diagrams. It's like the fastest growing uh, religion in the U.S. among young people is none, mm -hmm. um, uh, which is interesting to me, just as we're talking about young people yeah, and recovery yeah. and, and what's involved with uh, the 12 steps. Um, so I just, it's, I, I don't know if I had a point other than I, I just started thinking yeah. about that. Um, and then, 
the other thing, what was I going to ask you? Oh, in terms of, I guess it does have to do with uh, religion. Um, we're going down in November to the We Agnostics and Free Thinkers AA International AA Convention in Austin. Um, just <laughs> but to, to yeah. let you know if that's... Oh, wow. Um, that's really cool. And, uh, and uh, just do you... Do have you done conventions? I mean, you mentioned um, you mentioned really watching a movie. I'm wondering if it was it the anonymous people. Yes, that you watch. Okay, yeah. and uh, so uh, are you familiar with um, Unite to Face Addiction that was on the Mall in Washington D.C. last October? Yeah. Okay. Did you were you there? I was not. Okay. Uh, oh, did, um, yeah. did we see you? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but so th- that's uh, you know that's the same. That's awesome. Grew out of the same uh, effort. Um, Greg Williams, uh, you know, filmed the Anonymous People, eventually birthed that um, the event. That, yeah, and uh, so we just try to get to to different different events. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's really good to have resources like that yeah. because there's such a growing number of people that that really need to talk about their feelings on, on 12 step on, on different, you know, topics and say, Hey, I, uh, you know, I may not really believe in, in these religions Mm. and, and being inclusive of that as time moves on. I mean, I think, you know, AA was created in the thirties. It's a, it's a great program. Mm. It's lasted this long, but it does need to be more inclusive to those people that Mm -hmm. there's a whole chapter on it. We agnostics. Right. Exactly. And I I think when you look at the history of AA, there was actually like, I think one of the first numbers of AA was an atheist and he was so agnostic and he was, he was kind of why the words like, as we understood him are more Mm -hmm. involved in it because there are those people out there and it's yeah. important to be inclusive to that. And it's important to talk about that and say, you know, thankfully there's sponsors out there and I hope there's more of them out there. Cause I've had some that aren't like that where they're saying, okay, well, here's what we got to do for steps two, three, you know, here's, here's some different things to do in these cases of people that don't want to get on their knees and pray. Um, but have alternatives, you know, to say, okay, here's how we can handle that situation. Mm-hmm. How many how many people are at the center right now? Like how many people can you Right now we we have about 15. Um okay. we keep it low. Um we like to to have a really really hands smaller, on. Yeah. yeah, we have a hands-on experience um and have a small environment. Um we have the capacity basically what I always tell my staff is I think it's 20 if we have 25 um consistently what I'll do is I what what I do to to kind of take the load off of our staff is bring more facilitators on so there's some facilitators we work with that do life skills mm-hmm. things like that that we can really let the clients see more of um, as well so they can the the staff the full-time staff kind of has more ability for that hands-on care what what uh so you're an outpatient rehab mm-hmm. is there a difference between just op and iop yeah well that's kind of insurance insurance oh, okay. um, lingo. So there's the insurance lingo is is partial hospitalization, which is PHP, which in uh, normal human terms, as I like to put it, is uh, day treatment. So coming nine to two, uh, that whole thing. Um, and then there's IOP, which is intensive outpatient, which is insurance likes to say nine hours of programming a week. So that's could be three hours one day, three hours the next day, three hours another day, um, or you know split up over time, um, two hour periods. Typically, it's it's nine hours a week of, of intensive programming, and then there's OP, which is more anything less than nine hours. So we kind of incorporate all of that into our program. Mm-hmm. So the ideal client we have, um, I let them know ahead of time we we like being long term. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ideal client we have is something that comes someone that comes five days a week, uh, has a schedule something like uh, five days a week down to four days a week, down to three days a week, down to two days a week, down to one day a week Hmm. over a period of time so that they can kind of work with us but also develop their own sense of encouragement and reality um, other than just being in the treatment center the whole time and saying bye. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. What's what's the youngest and and the oldest, if I can ask? 
Uh, youngest client we've had is 18. Oldest client we've had, we've had people in their 60s mm-hmm. um, before. Um, and what's, what's really interesting is I thought the older people wouldn't really like the outings and the activities mm-hmm. and kind of more of that, but they love it. Um, which is really cool yeah. to kind of have this environment where these people are like, yeah, let's do that. Like I kind of, I remember one of the groups, we're still talking about doing it, but we were talking about going to Universal Studios and I thought the older people in the group were going to be a little like angry about it. And they were <laughs> really cool. Yeah. They were like, yeah, Harry Potter's open. Let's go. And yeah. I was like really surprised. They enjoy that. But that's that's a really cool thing for me is like cool. they, the older people even enjoy our program. You know, we started out as kind of young people's program mm-hmm. and, and we, we can kind of take any age because of that. Because there there are, especially here in Los Angeles, I'd like to say young people as kind of a variable term. Exactly, uh, yeah. I think Los Angeles is one of those places where half my friends are above the age of 30 and still aren't married and it's mm-hmm. kind of normal here. Yeah. Um, so it, it's something where we can kind of play on those terms and say, oh, well, you know, somebody that's 60 can come into our facility and have fun. Yeah. And, well, hell and yeah. I, and I think, well, not only, you know, the, what, the, uh, what is it, the aphorism that you're sort of, you stop maturing when your uh, addiction Using, yeah. kicks hold in, right? So there's sure. there's that, and then, I mean, I think a lot of um, you know professionally, like our industry, the three of us on this side of the mic, uh, two right now, you know, advertising, and then you know we were talking to our guest last week, the tech industry, and then there there are all these industries that skew a little bit philocentric. What what. Well, yeah, and they they also help you. Um, what's the word? Uh, uh, arrested development. There's an yes. arrested development in these like sort of cocoons right. of we get to be a little crazy industries, which you know, LA is just every every industry there is that way, right? Yeah. Um, and um, so you know, I think uh, yeah, I, that makes sense to me. Like you know, you had me when you say we get to sit around and play an Xbox, so I'm yeah. like. Oh. I'm going. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's really right. cool. It's really right. fun. We get the ability to do right. some really cool things with the That's clients right. where they're they're happy. Yeah. Um, even at a younger, older age, right. whatever it may be, they have this this ability to kind of drive into it and say, "Oh, we can have fun." It's yeah. cool. Well, hey, uh, Garrett. Congrats. I, uh, yeah, I'm really glad uh, yeah. that uh, Thank you. you persevered, on. and yeah. uh, I'm glad that you know we talked um, a couple weeks ago. I guess it was. Um, and uh, I th- thank you for coming on. And yeah, yeah. of course, it's, let it's us know when. Yeah, when you're ready to expand in the Midwest, we'll help you. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah we're good. we're over here by your mom. Uh, your mom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're in St. Louis, so. Um, awesome. Yeah, and just so people know where to find you in Alta Centers, can you? Yeah, our uh, our website is altacenters.com. A L T A centers.com. And uh, everything should be on there, how to contact us. There's a, uh, a little form at the bottom that says if you want somebody to give you a call, um, our number is 818-616-7443. And we're, uh, we like to keep things small enough where uh, that rings straight to my cell phone. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, from the hours of 4.30 to about till. 7 a.m. the next day. So uh, if you want to bug me at night, bug me at night. Um, <laughs> well, that's, we, um, that's good. And, that's just like a proper sponsor. You're sponsoring everybody. Yeah. I, you know, we we want to give everyone the ability to give a call to us. And if we can help you, um, we take most PPO insurances. We offer some scholarships from time to time. Um, and we, we do whatever we can to help the people around us. Fantastic. Yeah, that's true. Great talking to you. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. All right, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Have a good night. Another clean and sober intervention.